That's a dreadful ball and Chelsea could be in here with Goff who goes for goal and scores! Finds the back of the net! Henri! What a goal! Inspiration for Arsenal from Thierry Henri! Miller, lovely cushion header for The Ghost Goal Podcast. Tottenham ended Chelsea's unbeaten start to the Premier League season with a 3-1 victory at Wembley. Manchester United continued to disappoint as they got a 0-0 draw against Crystal Palace at home. Liverpool went to Watford and struggled for a little bit and managed to pull out a 3-0 win. Man City walked all over West Ham, and Arsenal salvaged a 2-1 win away at Bournemouth this weekend. I'm Alex, I'm here with Javier. Andrew, we're going to hear from uh, in a little bit about the Watford game, that he's out tonight at the Caps game up in New York City, so I uh, hope you have a good time, Andrew. Uh, Javier, how are you doing, man? Feeling a little bit tender. Just had my... Uh, oh, tender, watch that. My first ever professional massage. Just, oh, you're going to feel it in the morning. Yeah, my back and... Entire back is just you know it's feeling a little bit, a little bit, a little bit tender, but yeah, well, I'm still here for the pod, ready to go. Let's talk some footy. Then let's do just that. Brighton got a one-one draw with Leicester City uh, to start out things in the 10 a.m. slot. Uh, Glenn Murray opened the scoring the 15th minute, and Jamie Vardy equalized in the 79th minute with a penalty. James Madison had a. Uh, a dive in the in the twentieth minute dive. of this one that off, caught, just gave disgusting. him a second yellow Deserved. card. He was sent off. He posted a long uh, apologetic uh, social media post uh, very soon after that. But uh, a fair result for both teams. Andrew got the prediction right on that one with the one one pick last week. Everton got a one nil win against Cardiff City. That uh, probably came from a, a disappointing performance overall. But they get the home points again. Gilfie Sigurdsson scoring in the 59th minute. And Claudio Ranieri opened his time at Fulham with a 3-2 win against Southampton. So Southampton opened the scoring in the 18th minute through Stuart Armstrong before uh, Mitrovic and Shirla put Fulham ahead in the uh, 33rd and 43rd minute. Uh, Stuart Armstrong came back and got a 53rd uh, minutes equalizer to make it 2-2 before Beautiful Mitrovic goal. sealed it with a lovely, lovely volley. Uh, just real quick about Fulham. Uh, we we said, were saying last week how it's going to be good for Ranieri to get in there and, uh, and shore up Fulham's defense. And instead, they look terrible defensively. And uh, he gets things going attacking-wise. He really gets Mitrovic uh, scoring goals. The first goal that Mitrovic scored was a lovely, lovely team move, which I think is what we kind of expected from uh, Jokanovic's uh, Fulham sides, but they didn't really manage to produce enough. Uh, but the fact of the matter is they just managed to get uh, balls into the box early and often for Mitrovic, and that's that's what you have to do to get the best out of him. Did you manage to see any of this one? There, there's some yeah, great goals yeah, in this I game. Yeah, I did. Um, I, I don't really agree with that assessment. I thought um, they looked a little bit better defensively, but I thought this was obviously still a Yukanovic team. Like you said, the the goals looked like they came I'm not from, saying it's not a Yoko. Right, I think team, I think you gotta give Ranieri a few more weeks before the defense before you really judge if, you know, he's short up the defense at all or not. I thought that playing Callum Chambers in the midfield was uh, a good move. He ended up something that Jokanovic did yeah. in, at Liverpool before the international But he break. also played uh, a, a cons- like a good back line as well. He played five at the back with basically a defender in the midfield as well. He played, you know, this was he was trying to play defensive 
it just turns out that Southampton is also very bad defensively and, you know, allow allowed Fulham to, to you know, basically this, for this to be an, an end-to-end type affair. Well, going behind early at home, uh, like they did, 18th minute, Stuart Armstrong, I think only his like third uh, start for Southampton this season after moving over from Celtic, had a really nice finish where he sort of like arrived late in the box and uh, was able to place it uh, past Sergio Rico. But they allow the same player, uh, not not even an hour later, to uh, get to the ball first at the top of the 18-yard box. He just smashes one past Rico. So you can see the defensive lapses are still there. I wasn't trying to make it out to be like Ranieri won't figure it out based on, on this one performance. But uh, I thought he'd have them in a little bit better shape uh, for the very first match. And I thought he would approach it a little He's bit more He's only had a few days. I, I just think, I think that Two weeks, this, but yeah. this is... Uh, this was to me. It was expected. Like Fulham had to. Like you would have expected at the beginning of the season if you saw this game for Fulham to win this, and like if they didn't win a game like this, like they were hundred percent going to be on under crazy pressure to 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 drop down. I mean, there's there still are you know right now, but this brings them at least you know level with all bunch of other teams and in the mix instead of being you know rock bottom and not in it at all. So. You know, this is this is a good start, and I think this will this will lift spirits at the club, and and hopefully be the start of a good run for them. I'm going to put my uh, clairvoyant hat on real quick and uh, become Mostradamus and say that if you are betting money on the next manager fired in the Premier League, uh, put that money on Mark Hughes because uh, th- he has three wins in the 21 games that he's managed uh, Southampton in the Premier That's League since awful. being hired at the end of last season. So yeah, th- I- I'm just saying, keep an eye out for that one. Let's move down to Manchester United's uh, listless nil-nil performance with Crystal Palace. Romelu Lukaku got the start like we uh, like we imagined or, uh, or predicted. He has a great scoring record against Crystal Palace. Uh, had only really one moment in the game where uh, a, he forced a, an incredible Wayne Hennessy save off of a, uh, I believe, a long ball into the box. He headed across goal. And then he had a, an offside goal uh, called back. So, so two major moments, uh, none of them really leading to uh, that goal that he craves so much. But what did you think overall of this United performance? It seemed like despite some of the statistics, Crystal, Crystal Palace were the better of the two teams and probably felt like they could have uh, won this Definitely. One. I thought United were pretty pretty dire. I mean, for, for a home game, it just it feels like... For a game like that, if you have Alexis on the bench, you have Rashford. You know how do you not get at least a goal um, against a Palace side who they're they're very well organized under Hodgson, and I mean, but they've conce- you know they they've conceded to all the other big teams this season, and I don't know. It just it's 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 obviously very worrying. And Mourinho's comments after the game were something along the lines of, "My players didn't have enough heart." And they didn't show enough heart. They didn't show enough fight. And my response to that is, isn't that your job to motivate your team to go out there with heart and to motivate them during the game? I just, I don't know. I think I was, I was, I was not ready to throw the towel in on Marino yet at the beginning of the season, but I'm, I'm starting to sway, um, in thinking that these players have just checked out and they're right. not playing like, for how, him how anymore. Can, how can anyone make the argument at this point that this is going to get any better? Like, isn't it, isn't it pretty reasonable to say at this point that 
the best case scenario for the rest of this season with Mourinho at the helm is probably like a sixth or like fifth place finish, maybe if they really like got it together. But it's been two or three months now where you know they've maybe performed and well, maybe not performed, but gotten a result in two or three games in a row, and then their performances have caught, caught up with them and some hungrier, better team has come along and, and beat them or they, they've made them drop points. dire in halves of games before where, you know, they've improved in the second half or, you know, they've been good in the first half and they've been dire in the second. It's it's like Jackal and Hyde with, with this Mourinho team and you can't be like that in the Premier League. You know, you got to be consistent and it, it seems like maybe, you know, he can find a way to motivate them week, one or two weeks at a time, but as soon as something goes wrong or something negative happens, it's either Mourinho biting or Pogba or, you know, one of the players lashing out in some way on Instagram or something. And uh, the, the culture must must be super negative. Um, I can only imagine right now, you know, what what all the rumors and everything going around the club. I mean, for, for a team that spent a half billion dollars over the past three seasons under Jose Mourinho to be in the position they are, the club they are, you know, the biggest, biggest team in the world. Yeah, it's totally unacceptable. And I mean, as much as I love that they're in the position that they're in, uh, considering how long they dominated English football, I'm sure that this is not going to be acceptable much longer at the, uh, at the United board and for the higher ups. So I, I think Mourinho, Mourinho could be gone by Christmas, before Christmas. Um, but hey, maybe maybe they're they're dying on their sword here, and they're going to give him another window. They're going to give him January until the end of the season, um, like we've been saying at, on the pod. So let's uh, let's let's see what happens. I'm just going to comment on this game real quick. Just that I, I was kind of surprised to see Mourinho say in the post match press conference uh, that he didn't think United pressed enough. Uh, I didn't hear that. You know, it's kind, of, it's kind, of, it's kind of become like a like a meme at this point. Park the bus, park the bus. Uh, Man United playing football, the Mourinho right. way, all that. But I agreed with him. It was like two teams trying to give each other the ball and trying to coax each other to come forward and attack, so they could then counterattack and get in behind the other. And Crystal Palace just did a better job of it of. Uh, allowing United the more meaningless possession and really taking advantage of United when they uh, when they did inevitably make mistakes and, and coughed up opportunities for Palace. They weren't able to take any of those, but I think Palace had like 1.5 expected goals to United's like 9 or 0.9 or something. So tough one for, uh, for both teams. They probably felt like they should have and could have won. Uh, let's move on to Watford, who hosted Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool got the 3-0 win. Goals from Mohamed Salah in the 67th minute. Ale- Trent Alexander-Arnold in the 76th minute. And Roberto Firmino in the 89th minute. Uh, Jordan Henderson also got himself a second yellow card in the 82nd uh, for a not-so-great challenge. Uh, let's jump over to Andrew, who sent us a few of his thoughts on the match. What's up, guys? It's Andrew, live from New York. Just checking in to throw in my two cents on Liverpool real quick. Snag tickets to the Caps game tonight. Won't be able to join the boys, unfortunately. Life happens, you know. Um, anyways, just wanted to chat real quick about Liverpool's performance against Watford, which was a pretty solid performance. It wasn't really impressive. and Like, it wasn't pretty. It was impressive in the sense that it was another professional performance. They went out there. They get the three goals. Beautiful goal from uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Love the fact that he's hitting free kicks right now. Again, we're seeing Firmino kind of drop into this deeper role. I know Alex talked about, is he good? That's not really the question here. It's more of a, he's in more of a playmaker role where he's like, I wouldn't even say playmaker. He's just in a different mode 
for their team, so he's not collecting as many goals and assists this year, but it's fine. Love to see Salah getting that first goal. That's so important for him. He's our big-time player. The fact that he's the one breaking through is it just shows what a consistent player he can be for us. Um, would have loved to seen a goal from Sadio Mane, who may now miss the PSG trip. Apparently he's ill, so that's one to worry about. But again, Shakiri's contributing well. Um, and Jordan, Jordan Henderson getting sent off right before the, the Merseyside derby, I don't love it. I really don't. It kind of annoys me on the just the sheer factor of having him back there against Everton, I felt would have done well. And now we're definitely going to have to play Fabinho. But it is what it is. Hopefully we get a Naby Keita appearance now due to that, but we'll see. Um, but again, Virgil van Dijk balled out again. Defense did its job. Watford didn't have a ton of chances. I'm happy with that. You got to be happy with that, especially with what happened with other teams later in the day. And back to Alex and Javier. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew Passaro. Follow me on Instagram at Andrew Passaro. And, you know, the rest of the guys will plug their stuff. Go write, you know, subscribe. Do all that stuff. Help us out. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Bobby Firmino. Uh, I'm not going to apologize. I still stand by the statement that Roberto Firmino hasn't been as good this season as he was in years past. But what I will say is that I'm a little more uh, accepting of this new role for him. Like he, he played really well in in like the midfield role, and when Jordan Henderson got sent off, he didn't quite fill the void like going that deep. But he was another body like deeper in midfield, allowing those other two midfielders to drop in a little bit deeper themselves and make up the space that uh, Henderson basically vacated. I think it's a good uh, trade-off. You know, they're the most defensively solid team behind Manchester City in the league right now. So, you know, if Roberto Firmino isn't scoring 20 goals and having 15 assists this season and instead is down to like 15 and 10, yeah, I guess that's not that big of a, a trade-off if your defense is a lot better. Firmino ruined my, uh, my prediction of 2-0. But I did. I did think that that's why I predicted them to get a clean sheet away at Watford. You know, even though they they last season that game was three three. You know that just shows how different this Liverpool team is now. Even going down a man, they didn't really give uh, Watford a chance to get back in the game. You never really you never really felt like Liverpool were in danger of you know giving up the game. I don't know the first the first hour of the game was a pretty contentious like physical. Oh no, definitely it wasn't battle. easy for Liverpool. But I just I don't I never they never like. It never felt like they weren't in control and it never felt like they, you know, didn't have something else that they could bring on or something else that they could change to bring it up another notch. And in the end, it was a pretty, pretty easy win for them. You know, keeping a clean sheet and scoring three goals. I don't know. That's it's, I mean, Andrew had two one. You had one one. Three three nil is a very different result to those. So I felt I felt like they'd slip up and an hour into it, I was feeling pretty good about myself. But then. Watford did what Watford did do, and they, uh, they choked it all away. And, uh, well, I guess one of those was a moment of brilliance. What did you think of Alexander-Arnold's free kick? Yeah, that was awesome. As uh, as Andrew said, it's it's pretty awesome that an 18- or 19-year-old— I think he's 20 by now, isn't um, he? Right back. I think he's 19. Uh, Scores—you know, scoring goals off free kicks and taking corners for, for you know, a top team in England— um, that can only be good for the English national team, and you know he's a huge prospect for Liverpool and for for the for the national team for the future. Kieran Trippier is shaking in his boots for the English national team. I'm sure. Yeah, he may never uh, see a game again. <laughs> uh, let's move on down to uh, 
Manchester City, who went to West Ham, took the lead 11 minutes in through David Silva, uh, added a couple of Sterling and Sané goals after that to close out West Ham and win 4-0 at the London Arena or London Stadium, whatever it's called. One thing I was really impressed with uh, for City in this game is that they kind of just went around West Ham's attempt to pack the midfield by just having Fernandinho and Laporte uh, basically attempt to play these nice diagonal balls in behind the wings of the West Ham defense. They would work the ball from like left to right or right to left, chip a ball diagonally to to the, the far post that Sterling or Sané would run onto, and they would in turn get the ball back across with like pinpoint accuracy. All, they, all four of the goals basically unfolded like that. City just know at this point when immediately if teams aren't going to have wide players that track back and they attempt to pack the middle of the box like that, they're going to have all day to do whatever they want with the talent they have in Sané and Sterling out on the wings. And West Ham themselves were trying to like play more attacking. They were trying to keep Arnautovic and, and Anderson and uh, all of their attacking players high and wide to try and get in at uh, Man City uh, on the other end of the field. And fact is, City had like I think they scored on their first two or three shots or two of their first three at least. West Ham have a couple of pretty good chances in the first half, but didn't take theirs. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean that to say that what Man City got like lucky because they obviously had like a very good control of the game at all po- times and just like how clinical they, they were three with their finishing in the kind of fourth minute. Right, they sucked. Like they sucked <laughs> all of the. They were up two nil before the twentieth minute. Like th- at no point were West Ham in this game. Maybe yeah, in the I'm, first I'm ten minutes of the I'm game. Just, I'm just saying that I'm just I'm just laying out what West Ham's approach was. Right. West Ham's it was approach suicidal. was that we're going to concede was, goals, but we want to try. And it was attack absolutely Man City. suicidal. I mean, I I I messaged you before the game saying like, what is this West Ham lineup? You know, I thought I thought Pellegrini was going to. Right. Masuaku at left Masu- back. Playing Masuaku yeah. and Antonio. Both of them have been riding the yeah. bench this season. That was the other winger that was Both of them of. have been riding the bench this season. and, and Antonio wasn't terrible, no, actually. Okay, I'm He's sure. The- but th- they're both good at what they do, which is attack, dribble, and like and bring the ball up the field. But that's not what you want to be doing against City. Like, if you're West Ham at home, you you, you want to try and grind out a 1-1 or, or a nil-nil. You're not going <laughs> to... There's no way you're going to... But Manuel Pellegrini, I don't think, is going to want to do that against this former club. I mean, we saw that he didn't sure, want to do that. Sure, but this is what happens to you when, you know, when you do that, you get, th- you're, you're down 3-0 in the 35th minute. I mean, after that, you just saw Pep say, okay, you know, <laughs> we're bringing off, bringing off my key players, resting, bringing on, you know, Phil Foden. I mean, come on. They were just, they were just, tr- they trotted to this 4-0 victory. This is, this is the scariest team I've ever seen, I think. I mean, this is, right? In the Premier, in the League, Premier yeah, League, they're better scary. than last year. Like they weren't, they weren't blowing yeah. teams out four, five, six nil every single week. I'm expecting four yeah. goals every week now. And I mean, I mean, some of their best players are some of the players on on their on their team sheet that would regularly be considered starters anywhere, or not starters, but stars anywhere else, and be fed a whole load of opportunities. Like Aguero, for example, obviously not over the extent he just gets of the to bring season, him off on the 60th really well. minute every game. But he, Aguero didn't really contribute much, and uh, on all of the opportunities, he was in and around the box, but it was just Sterling or Silva or Sané who managed to get into that position before him. And I don't think you're going to see Sergio Aguero pissed off at all. He's just going to... It, it, they've somehow found this great chemistry and this balance where everybody eats at some point. Everybody's going to get their goals and their, and their uh, attacking output at some point during this season. They just have to wait their turn. Yeah. Uh, 
it was an impressive performance. A very casual 4-0 win is always going to be impressive, especially away from home. Uh, but let's move on to actually, you know, we can skip this one. I uh, Tottenham beat Chelsea 3-1 at Wembley. Javier, I'm upset. Are you Alex? I'll lay out the goals real quick. Deli Ali opened the scoring oh, in who? the eighth minute. Who? before uh, Harry Kane got the second goal in the 16th minute. And Chelsea's embarrassment was complete when Hyunming Sun outpaced Jorginho. Finally, uh, evaded, he should have had a hat-trick evaded, at that point. Evaded a half-assed David Luiz tackle and uh, scored a, a great goal that for some reason isn't in Sky Sports goal, goals of the week this week, which I thought was, I was offended even as the yeah, uh, that fan is of very the team offensive. that it was scored on. I hate Tottenham. Was, I hate all was, the players. That was a great but goal. But I love Son. He's the only player on that team that I like don't genuinely hate. And uh, I mean, he was a monster the entire game. He tore you guys to shreds. Every time he had the ball, I mean, you guys couldn't get the, he looked like Eden Hazard playing against other teams out there. You know what I mean? Well, it, it was he, he wasn't he wasn't the only one. Uh well the goals let me just sum up the goals. The uh, Chelsea managed to get a consolation in the eighty fifth minute when Olivier Giroud got on the end of an Aspilicueta uh cross to make it three one. Were Tottenham really good or were Chelsea really bad? Which one would you frame the narrative as? I'm interested to hear your Well opinion. first of all this is the absolute biggest thrashing. Who do you blame more? This is the absolute biggest thrashing that a top six game has had this season. Um, the other one, the only other one that you could maybe say was the Tottenham three 0 over United, but that wasn't a thrashing. Exactly, and I was, was going to say, I'll, I'll and, and I was also going to say but. top six teams. So you know, United isn't really in that. So, um, <laughs> God damn, are United taking Tottenham's place? Everton is six now. Everton is six now. Uh, so yeah, I, are. you know, I can't consider United in that top six anymore, and they're going to have a hard time getting Everton out of there. Everton are, are playing well this year, so. But no, I thought I thought that. Look, I thought Tottenham were really good, but I thought you guys just let them walk through you. Um, I yeah, thought that's what I think. I thought that Ingolo Conte was not near where he needed to be. Uh, I was. It's been a few times. How just dare listen. you? Hold you're on. Gonna, just listen one second. I you're love Ingolo. You're going to pick on Ingolo. Ingolo Conte first. No, no Don't I will. Don't do that, Javier. No, you're smarter than listen, that. Listen, it's not Ingolo's fault. It's absolutely not Ingolo's fault at all. It's the manager and the position that he's playing him in. He's telling Ingolo to be the player to make the final ball to Eden Hazard and to Giroud in the box. He's... The, telling N'Golo to make late runs into the box, and N'Golo's getting chances in these games, and frankly, he's, he's, it's just not where he needs to be. There there's, there was a few times in this game where N'Golo was caught up the field, and Tottenham were able to just run right through you. Son was able to go 30 yards up the field because N'Golo was behind him and tracking back because... Why? Because he was attacking. He was being the player that Sarri was asking him to be, and he lets Jorginho be that 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 last man, that pivot. And Jorginho's just not really that good at that role. I mean, he's really good at passing, phenomenal, and distribution. But you could tell, and I've seen it in several games this season. I've I thought this is like probably one of Chelsea's biggest weaknesses. It's not that difficult to fix, but every time that he's the last man that needs to make the tackle, or before the center backs are exposed. A lot of times he he he's not making that last tackle. He's not that good defensively. He's okay, you know. He's serviceable. He's kind of like Granit Xhaka in that that like sometimes you know when Xhaka first came to the Premier League he was he was pretty atrocious. But now he's he's at the point where you know he's serviceable on defense. You're you're not you know he's getting he's he's making an 
a lot more. He rarely rarely gets cards now. I think I think it's 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 a similar type player, and I think that Jorginho was completely just played out in this game. For once, I need to I need to give credit to this man. I I do not like him as a footballer. I've trashed him many times on this podcast, but Sissoko was actually pretty good. He was his decision making this game was very good. I think you're being offensive. He was he was one of the best players on the field. Yeah, he was excellent. I mean, he <laughs> it was, shut it was down between him. It was between him, Son, and Ali. Yeah, to definitely. Be Those three were the were the catalyst. Erickson was very good too. Kane had his moments. I mean, yes, they played really well as a team. Uh, I thought defensively they were they were there for the taking. There was a lot. Um, are you talking about Chelsea or Tottenham? Tottenham. I thought Tottenham. Yeah. I thought Chelsea could have created a lot more and could have done more with the opportunities they had. I thought, like I said, I thought you know there's a couple half chances in Golo Conte had where he just like hit it straight at the keeper or just like kind of whiffed his shot. And there was a couple key passes, key key, penalty. key, key, uh, key passes that Ingolo could have made that just maybe were like you know half a yard off. That if that had been someone else taking that pass, maybe you know Fabregas or um, Ross Barkley who once he came on was fantastic and I thought, you know, kind of revitalized Chelsea a little bit. Um wouldn't go that far, but okay. And yeah, you're right. That that, you know, Tottenham were up 1-0, clear-cut penalty on Eden Hazard. 1-1, the whole game changes. You know, goals change games. So, I, I think we would have seen this game very differently if that first goal had gone in. Um I don't think that Tottenham would have just barreled you guys over and gone up you know, it would have been one-one right after they had scored. So, I don't think Kane would have immediately scored after that again. And then, you know, I, I think the game would have been totally different. That's you know neither here nor there. Um, but and, and the last player, I just I have to mention again, uh, Morata was just absolutely atrocious. He was. I mean, it's a pattern at this point. Just, we're, I don't, we're used to it. He was off sides just a half dozen times again. You know, did his usual crying, flopping, screaming, uh, and and Giroud needed to be brought on, brought on much earlier. It seemed like Sorry didn't want to admit he was wrong. Uh, Giroud again, Giroud and Barkley both played really well when they came on. I thought probably both should have started, or Giroud should have come on at halftime. Um, either either one of those things should have happened earlier. And I thought Kovacic was weak too. I don't know. I you guys, there was a lot of problems in this game. I don't know what. what I've talked a lot about it, Alex. What do you, I'll give focus me your, on the one topic your, uh, that's really been yeah. that's really been like eating at me is just the the knee jerk reactionary take that you just had. How basically everyone's just started to say take Jorginho and Conte and flip them, put Conte at the base of the three. No, I don't want that. Push. I just want Conte to well, play that, further. I'm back. just saying that's that's what all that's what a lot of the pundits, everyone uh, everyone in the in the media has been saying. Why well, you have N'Golo Conte so up high up the field? And all I'll say in response to that is, assuming that Chelsea stay in this 4-3-3 with a, one player playing at the base of midfield and two midfielders going forward and helping with the pressing and obviously trying to get forward and score goals, as long as we're going to stay in that 4-3-3, Jorginho is playing at the base of midfield. There is not going to be any change to that. It will not happen. Stop even debating it. And I'm not saying that's you, Javier. I'm saying that's a... The wider universe in general, who that's just been the consensus. Sure, I just want the Conte to play is, further back and then maybe to give fact, that third okay. player more freedom to, so, to go forward. The only way I could see that working is if Chelsea shifted to more of a 4 2 3 1. Now, for the 4 2 3 1 to work with a Conte Jorginho pivot, that number 10 central player playing behind the striker, that has to be a far better player than what we have exactly. at our disposal right that's now. That's what you're missing. It right basically, now. 
where basically we're, it's someone who's mostly committed to attacking but can cover a ton of ground defensively yes. and help with the pressing actions. Because you're, you're basically saying we're going to take one of our three midfielders and instead of having two – sorry, we're gonna, instead of having two midfielders helping those front three press, we're only going to have one and those other two midfielders are going to sit deep and shield the defense. Sorry doesn't want to do that. Sorry wants to have our team up high with a high line – trying to force teams to make mistakes. And the fact is, they just did not press well enough on the day. I'm saying you're not going to win the league. I don't think you're going to win the league playing that way. Manchester City disagree with you. So, uh, you know, you can say that all you like, but that's that's the end game here. That's what Sarri is hoping to achieve. He is a disciple of Pep's. They go and get dinner with each other, like, all the time. He's just trying to clone Pep's team. I don't think he's trying to clone it. He's tried to create his own version of it. Sure, Pep... Uh, the thing I'll say about Pep that obviously uh, makes him stand out not, isn't just the trophies for obvious reasons, but we've seen Pep be a little bit more willing to shift the system for certain games. And, you know, the same principles of passing and movement and shifting the defense with it, uh, they still stand, but he can switch to like a 3-5-2, a 4-3-3, a 3-4-3. He can move in all those uh, different systems and do that. Sorry is pretty much focused on this one system at Chelsea. And I don't think this one result is going to force him to change anything. Yeah, I'm just going to say one more time that Deli Ali, for my money, we mentioned those three players, Ali, Son, and Sissoko, were all like worthy man of the match winners. I think Ali deserves it most for the work he did on Jorginho. Because specifically, they were playing a 4-3-1-2 with Son and Kane up top, Ali just behind them, and Eriksen in a deep midfield three with Dyer and Sissoko. And Ali's pretty much like focused man marking on Jorginho, not allowing him to make any sort of easy uh, first option forward passes and always forcing him to go backward. It completely neutered us. Uh, we, we tried to do our backup plan of get the ball to Eden Hazard and hope he like beats a man and starts something from there. But Tottenham with that midfield three I just mentioned, uh, mainly Sissoko and Dyer, they had that whole middle part of the pitch blocked up, and they were completely focused on getting uh, Eden to either give away, give up the ball, or uh, make a wrong decision and try and tackle him. It was a good game plan by Tottenham. I'll give it to them. They, that was their, definitely their best performance of the season. The three 0 against United, they were on their heels for much of that. United probably should have scored through Lukaku, and uh, Tottenham eventually pulled away with a couple of set piece goals. Uh, late in the first half and early in the second half. So from start to finish, in terms of domination, this Chelsea game, I think, supersedes that as their best performance of the season. So it definitely was their best performance uh, of the season, yeah. And frankly, I think they might, they, they've might they probably leapfrogged us as the not only third best team in the table, but the, the third team behind Liverpool uh, that you would probably consider as the best chance of challenging for a title this season. Because so, we've just seen too many of too many so weaknesses So if we, if we had like a number scale, so I'd say City is in 100 I'd say Liverpool is like a 90. Like a percent. Yeah, like a, a percentage, percentage scale. scale. City's a 100. Liverpool's a 90. Tottenham and Chelsea are probably like 85s, maybe like. And then like Arsenal's like an 83. And then everyone else like is like, you know, we're not going to go there. God, everything comes back to you shitting on United. <laughs> we're not going to go there. We're not going to go there. United, United are definitely or below what, an 80. 70, 73? 70, 73, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. All right. For their resources, it's ridiculous. All right. <laughs> we, we heard you, Javier. We heard you. Uh, let's move on to the Sunday games. Bournemouth hosted Arsenal at the Vitality Stadium. Javier, your Gunners got a 2-1 win, and you predicted the 2-1 scoreline. Jefferson Lerma, 
opened the scoring for Arsenal with one of the best own goals you'll ever Fantastic see. Fantastic goal. In the 30th what minute. A volley. Uh, Josh King uh, equalized just before halftime with a, a great little bit of counterattacking play uh, from uh, David Brooks uh, to set him up. Uh, and Aubameyang made it 2-1 in the 67th minute with a patented Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang finish. Arsenal didn't look great. I personally didn't love this uh, 3-4-3 they uh, threw out there. They've had it. They've played it a couple times this season, mainly against non-Premier League opposition. But just having Xhaka and Torreira in midfield, to me, I thought it just kind of made you guys soft and easy to counterattack on. Because the, once they kind of broke through that first line of uh, uh, the front three, the, they're... If they if they managed to get past Herrera and he did play pretty well, I thought, but I just didn't think you guys had enough bodies in midfield to really stop them from having those sweeping counterattacks. Bournemouth probably could have had a decent chance of winning this one or at least getting a point, but uh, they got a bit unlucky, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say? Yeah, this was I thought one of our worst performances of the season. I was not happy at all after this game, even though we got a win. It was. Yeah, I mean, you got the it win. Was extremely lucky. I mean, we did not deserve the win at all. Um, I think Bournemouth should have won this game. It was very harsh on them that they didn't get anything from it. Um, there was a very clear penalty that they had in the first half that, or sorry, a goal that was just not, that was onside, completely onside. Called offside, called offside on David side. Brooks, um, right? Later in the second half, they also had another one on one on goal that was called offside that wasn't offside. And. It just it's it's what we've been saying all season about VAR that you know games like this a team like Bournemouth they're gonna feel super hard done by um, you know a team that's probably chasing that six six spot right now that they couldn't get a result from this you know they're gonna like they were right next to us in the table and if they'd gotten a result from this they'd been a point they'd be a point away from us so I think it's I think it's really harsh for them and I thought I agree with you I thought we were pretty miserable in that five at the back the only thing it really offered was it freed up a little bit our wing backs but we didn't really take advantage of that very much I thought we really really missed Lacazette this game I think you can tell why Emery sees him as the first choice striker his link up play just his his overall presence and the dropping back the way, the the game hit the game that he has like facing the goal is better than Aubameyang's. So I really I think when the two are on the field together, we have a much bigger threat than when it's just a bombing or just Lacazette. Um, but when it's just one striker playing on the field, I do like it being just Lacazette. So other than that, you know, Aubameyang did keep up. He's leading goal scorer in the Premier League, uh, tied with Aguero with eight goals. So, hey, at least that's one prediction we have going well. Uh you know, he might end up. Yeah. He might still end rocky up. Rocky start the, there. Uh, yeah, we did rocky have a rocky start. start, but he's picked it back up lately. Uh, I was uh, I was willing, willing willing to jump ship from that one after the first couple of it games. Is yeah, it is interesting. We we rested like a bunch of players in this game. Ozil just didn't come on, and Emery after the game basically said like this game was too physical and intense for he's him. Too much of a pussy yeah, to he hang out called there. Him, basically, was like he's a pussy. He can't come on. Like I thought that was kind of funny. Just, I agree just, with just, like, it. No. On him. I agree he, with it. Mikatarian had a howler. Probably the worst performance of almost any player in in any team this season. He was every time he touched the ball, he was awful. And I'm guessing he bought himself uh, a start in this one with that goal that he scored against Wolves. You know, the uh, the, the cross that eventually just ended up in the back of the net. I'm guessing that, that Emery kind of used that as like, oh, you know, we're going to reward you for that performance. Because I was, I was kind of miffed by that one, too. I mean, like, don't you think Mesodosio must have been pissed? Like, if you see this uh, guy yeah, having a howler out it. there and the coach isn't putting you in, like, how low does the coach think of you, right? I mean... 
I don't know. I thought that was I thought that was pretty uh pretty dire that we didn't put on Ozil and a lot of fans were criticizing that decision. I don't know. I didn't like the I didn't like the formation. I didn't like the performance. Um, I thought we got super lucky to win here. And hey, I mean, I mean, people are talking about seventeen unbeaten. Stop talking about that. This is our first win. Like, forget everything else that happened before. Because like up till this point, like it's been like pretty good result wise, but like. Performance-wise, like, you can tell this can catch up with us soon. So, like, don't, like, delude yourselves thinking, like, oh, we're 17 unbeaten. This is good. Like, no, like, we still have so many problems. And and I'm happy we were, we were able to show a little bit of versatility of playing a different formation and winning with it. But don't try that very often again, Emery, please. Don't. don't. <laughs> Both teams have uh, very difficult tests coming next week uh bournemouth will go to manchester we rested lacazette and ozil so i'm guessing both of them are going to be playing in that game fully rested and uh, yeah arsenal will host tottenham next weekend uh which is going to be emory did say after the game that he basically has an eye on that tottenham game and knows how important it is and lacazette didn't play because he had a slight tight groin and they said he was fit but they just didn't want to risk him at all that that the game next week is important enough and he thought we could win without him so Bold call and almost did almost cost us, but hey, this this is the type of result that you need to get if you if you need to make top four. I mean, why have two strikers the caliber of Abamyang and Lacazette if you're not going to be ballsy enough to just rest one of them one yeah. time and let the other one carry? Yeah, I, no, that was. I mean, I, I would feel comfortable playing one of those. Obviously, you'd like to play two, like you said, right. but uh, with only one, you guys have the creative players to put plenty of chances on a plate. For I them. thought Iwobi and Kolasinac, if there was two players from Arsenal that I'd have to give any praise to, were both quite good. Um, Torreira as well. Torreira was man of the match, and he he brought him off in the 70th minute because uh, Torreira said he was tired which is very good. I'm glad that, like, first of all, that, like, we have a coach who's willing to bring off a player when he's tired, even even if he's playing extremely well. And he said, you know, I might get injured if I keep playing. So he brought him off. And, again, this is, like, looking looking another eye to the Tottenham game. Um, he played two, two, two long games for Uruguay over the break, so... Navio, let me just say, you, you many a time uh, in private, and I think even on this podcast, you have uh, equated uh, the Lucas Torreira signing to Arsenal's version of the N'Golo Kante signing at Chelsea, and that he's going to have that kind of. Uh, I think he's already had that impact on you guys. Us, yeah. Uh, all I'll say is that N'Golo Kante has never been tired. So yeah, that 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 comparison is immediately uh, null and void. Uh, so let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, Torreira doesn't have three lungs like Ingolo, okay? It's yeah, yes, of course. You know, it's not it's not a fair fight, also, ter- I agree. Also, Torreira's human. Yeah, yeah like, Ingolo uh, come on. is a god. Ingolo's a god. There's no comparison, Alex. Come on, get out of here. <laughs> I'm glad you can admit that. I can, I'm glad you can admit that. Uh, let's jump down to uh, Wolves. Surprisingly lost at home 2-0 to Huddersfield. Aaron Moy with goals in the 6th and 74th minute. Uh, Javier, I understand you wanted to mention something. I'm guessing about Huddersfield. Yes, Huddersfield. You see, Andrew and Alex trashed them Are they going to be safe? Season, and are they staying up? I need to say something about them. Two things. Number one, they will outwork. They outworked Wolves this game. That's what they did. They didn't play particularly well. This was their best performance of the season by far. But it wasn't like they were playing beautiful football. It was uh, Pritchard, Billing, Hogg, and Moy. Grinding, pressing, just high press. I, I, it was pretty impressive. I don't. I, I, I didn't know they could do that, and they just People worked really hard that, the whole game. That was 
that was uh, Wagner's modus operandi when he first took over Huddersfield down in the championship. They were known as the high-pressing 4-3-3 team, and everyone was talking about him being the disciple of Jurgen Klopp and bringing his philosophy to the championship. And then last season, he went the complete opposite way. And you see him every now and then against teams that he thinks like aren't quite as good as like the top six. He'll be willing to have his team press high and play like that. But I mean, it doesn't it doesn't always come off? Like there's teams in the Premier League that can take advantage. But if of this is Huddersfield's new identity, then they're definitely going to stay up. If they can play this way week in and week out, if they can work I, this I, hard, I don't think they can. I don't think they <laughs> don't can think either. They can. But hey, you know what? They I, I have it's just a they case have of ten points. They're in fifteenth place. They're out of the relegation zone, which is a lot better than what everyone thought they were going to be doing at this point. They have had a pretty easy schedule up to this point. They have a lot of hard games coming up, so you know we'll see how they're doing in a couple months' time, but. I'm I'm thinking that you know there's a lot of teams that are way lazier than Huddersfield and if they play like this you know they're going to get more results this season and from the Wolf side that's what five or six games without a win now I think yep. five losses in that they had that one draw against Arsenal but uh, that's this is this is uh maybe time to start switching things up for Nuno Valente because he keeps playing the same lineup every week. And I mean, Diego Yota, Diego Yota hasn't started in these last five games and he came on, he looked really good, really positive. I think you got to start him in the next game. And I think, okay. So personnel wise, I yeah, agree. Personnel yeah, wise, I think he's got to switch, switch things up. Things up. But the three, four, three defensive system. No, I don't that's think good. But I think personnel change. wise, he's got to make some changes. Look for that next game. Let's jump to the final game of the week. Burnley lost 2-1 at home to Newcastle, who now have, I believe, is that their third win in a row? Yes, sir. Second win in a row? Yes, sir. They're running. Third? As, as right? Rafa Benitez said, we are now running. So before I before we just mention the goals in this one, I'll just say I, I'm going to sum up that Mark Hughes next to be fired pick by saying the wins by Newcastle, Fulham, obviously, and uh, Huddersfield down at the bottom – all put extra pressure on Mark Hughes because I can't remember the last time Southampton won. Uh, but yeah, Newcastle got a win at Turf Moor. Ben Mee scored an own goal in the fourth minute. Kieran Clark put Newcastle up 2-0 in the 23rd minute before Sam Vokes was able to pull one back before halftime and make things tighter in the second half. Not much to mention here. Uh, it's just good to see Newcastle back at it. We're a little worried for Burnley. Uh, do you think their chances of getting relegated or uh, I mean I've been saying it them? all season I think they're relegation candidates I think they were awful this game they were dire it was definitely the worst Monday night football game that I've ever seen I only watched a part of it but the commentary after the game was they should never put these two teams on a Monday ever again um they had them on a Monday last year too and it was like 1-1 and a boring game too so just awful I I I, I I'm sad that they had teams like this on Monday but Newcastle like Huddersfield worked extremely hard this game. Their midfield was industrious. Um, their their attackers were good. Their defense were the ones who got the goals. I mean, they played really well. And like you said, three wins in a row. The team's got confidence again. And you know the way Rafa has them has them playing. Yeah, you know you gotta you gotta think they they're probably gonna try and stay up again. So they're I mean they're gonna be in it. And they're they're they look they look like they're back on track at least after a very hard run of fixtures and now they got some decent results. Yeah, good for them. Good for them. Happy for them. 
I'm standing by. I, I never really thought Burnley and Newcastle were in like that big of trouble anyway, even when they when they weren't playing well this season. Burnley is kind of obviously still continuing, but I mean, I'm still standing by Huddersfield. Well, okay, hold on, just one second. Cardiff. Newcastle has minus five goal difference and twelve points. Burnley have nine points, and everyone else is below them has eight, and they're minus fourteen goal difference. That's that's a that's a ten. Well, yeah, that's a massive that's, okay, difference. That's that's all that all came from that three game stretch where they had to play. a Away at Man City and lost like six. Okay, but Newcastle have like played four, have played nil. teams like Man City, Arsenal, United, Chelsea, I'm, and have okay, like, I'm just saying they've lost or or tied those games or like, but they've lost like two two one one nil. You know they haven't been getting blown out by those teams like last year. If you remember, that was very important last year in the relegation battle. At the end of the season, I believe Newcastle was the team that didn't get blown out, and Southampton as well. Southampton, the reason they actually stayed up last year. Was because they were losing games that they were losing, you know, one nil, two two, two one. I agree, but Burnley's twelve of those goals came from a three game stretch where they were at Man City, home Chelsea, at West they Ham, and they conceded awful defensively. They conceded three or four goals in each of those they games. And they, they they had they conceded twelve in three. Newcastle games could have scored, scored four goals and in scored this game. none. Newcastle could have easily scored four or five goals. Like two goals was was flattering for Burnley. This score this scoreline was flattering. They were terrible. They were at home, and this is a game where Sean Dyche before the game was like, "Oh, we're gonna get back on track in this game, and the players have looked great in training." And oh, he has to say that. I mean, yeah, but they were just they were atrocious, and I don't know what's gonna happen. That that. They need maybe some some January uh, winter signings, something to revitalize the team. Because in the current state, I have them being a relegation candidate. So, all right, that's all the time we have this week, Javier. Thank you for uh, coming on and talking me through off the off the, the cliff that I've been facing all weekend since that Chelsea result. Uh, thanks again to Andrew for sending in his thoughts on the Liverpool match. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Andrew Pissarro. Uh, you follow me at ASMOS92. Javier's on Instagram as at, at JavierRev9. Of course, you can follow us at Ghost Gold Pod as well. Make sure to go uh, follow and subscribe to uh, all of the accounts on iTunes. Leave us a comment, rate, and review. Helps us get a, a boost in our uh, in our visibility uh, through, search, uh, through the search engine in iTunes. And until next time, 